back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and today's very special UFC Boston edition of Half the Battle is co-hosted by longtime friend of the show, James Vick. James, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Of course, it's my pleasure. And our very special guest for today's UFC Boston edition of Half the Battle is the one and only John Gooden. John, good to have you on the show, man. Thank you very much. I like this whole Anglo-American vibe we got here. This is cool. Yeah, this is, we got some, uh, I don't know if I want to call it cultural shock, but this is really awesome that we get to talk to both of you guys. You know, we come from different parts of the world. Obviously, James and I are both in the United States, but he's in Texas. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. You're in the UK. And man, it's my pleasure to have you on the show. I got a couple questions for you, man, because obviously you are the play-by-play commentator for the UFC in Europe and the UK. And I just got to know, how did it feel when you first got the call that you were going to be working for the UFC? Oh man, it's uh, yeah, that gives me goosebumps. Just uh, answering that question, I was I was in my other job. I was uh, I was actually an electrician, uh, so I was on a uh, I was on a service call in someone's house, and I was expecting to hear some feedback on how I did with my screen tests and things like that. And the call came through, and uh, and it was a positive one, and and I remember kind of completely ignoring the client that I was there to see, almost giving them the hand, you know, hold up, this call is important. And uh, and I got back in my van to drive to the next job. And I just remember like beating on my steering wheel saying, yes, 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 we've done it. This is it. This is, this is, this is cool, man. So yes, yeah, there was no, there's, there's nowhere big, bigger and better to go than the UFC, and if and if your passion is mixed martial arts, I mean it, it certainly is mine. Um, there's there's no bigger there's no bigger job out there. And in the words of Conor McGregor, it was like red panty night when you got that call, huh? Oh hell yeah, it was. <laughs> oh god, I love I love Conor. Um, it was indeed red panty night. I'm not sure that uh, that those words were exchanged in that phone conversation at the time. <laughs> I think uh, I think I did say to the missus, uh, my wife. I, th- I think we certainly had a champagne evening, uh, rather than a, explicitly a red pants night. Even if we did, I'm not going to be telling you guys about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome to hear, man. And I got to know because obviously, when we watch you commentate on the fights, as the fighters are walking out, you know, you guys are very in tune with what you're talking about. Do you have a bunch of notes? Do you do it off of memory? Talk to me about that real quick. No, I'm, I make notes. I. I I work really hard on those notes. I mean, I'll start preparing these notes for London already, mainly because we haven't got any other shows right now. But, yeah, I I have a database uh, for fighters. So, like, when James is fighting, like in his last fight, I would be watching there and I will have my my Mac open and I'll be making notes on his fight. And then if I was to actually commentate on his fight, I'll try and grab him during fight week or just before and do an interview. And the one thing I like to say to fighters, uh, which is slightly different from what a lot of journalists are trying to get from things is I really want them to use me as their mouthpiece because that walkout and that time in the octagon, pairing it up with their sort of athletic performance, there's so much more to fighters than, than just a, a man or a woman who's going in there, you know, uh, fighting uh, and competing. There's so much more stuff going on in, in their respective lives. And it's an opportunity to, to get that out there, it makes me look informed. Um, it educates the the fans so that they can make a, a deeper connection with the athlete and hopefully follow them 
you know, throughout their career. So I make a, a real big point of preparing those notes. Uh, I do a lot of research. So yeah, it's not from memory. Some of it, you know, I write points down and um, some people have said it sounds a bit scripted sometimes, but really I'm trying to, I'm trying to cram a lot of information in uh, so that I hit a lot of notes, get a lot of stuff across and, and hopefully the fans learn something. Well, very well said, my friend. And I disagree that it sounds scripted. It sounds prepared. I think that's the proper word to use there. Now, James, you know, last time you and I spoke on air, you uh, reached out to Joe Silva. What's the latest on that? Uh, well, I, I didn't hear anything back for like three weeks, so I got impatient. I messaged him back, and then he said he's still working on it, and I... I'm I'm hoping possibly I could get on the March 5th card. I mean that would be that would be kind of amazing, and and honestly it, it seems like it might be a possibility, but um we'll see what happens. But if not, then I'm thinking they haven't announced the card probably at the end of what what is it uh, March? They have the the Australian card, which I loved Australia, but I really don't want to fight over there again as much as the taxes they took of my money. <laughs> It, it killed me like it's crazy the amount of money they took of mine so if preferably as much as i love the country i'd rather just go visit afterwards than i would fight over there but um uh i'm thinking maybe if there's a card in between because there's like 15 days between the march 5th to the march 20th fight in australia there's like 15 days there and then there's there's no cards announced after that point either so Maybe if something comes up, honestly, I don't even mind fighting on a fight night again or something small like that. If I could get on a main card, just because I really, I guess I go about it a different way than a lot of people. They, they want to be on the big cards, but I feel like at this point in my career, it's a better chance for me to get a bonus to be on a smaller card because I will be able to for sure get on a main card. Most likely, um, even though my last card, my last fight was on fight pass, I was still on the main card. So that really helped me in as far as. Uh, getting a getting a better opportunity to to get the bonus, which happened. So if I could fight on a fight or something, I'd be happy with that as well. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, now James, obviously we all know you're a very tough guy. You'll fight anyone, but it has been a while since your last fight. Are you looking to get a tune up, or are you just trying to jump right into the sharks at 155 pounds? I, I mean, it hasn't been it has been a while, but I, I've had longer layoffs. I, I think I'll be ready. I'm not really worried about who they mess me up with. That's that's what we like to hear, and we cannot wait. For you to make your UFC return. Now we got to talk about UFC Boston. Because obviously TJ Dillashaw is fighting against Dominic Cruz. We've all wanted to see this fight for a very long time. And it's finally happening. And Showtime Pettis is in the co-main event. So I mean this card is pretty damn stacked. And it's free. So first up we got to talk about Rob Font. And he's welcoming the UFC newcomer Joey Gomez into the UFC. And we're talking about Rob Font at minus 220 with the comeback on Joey Gomez at plus 180. Now, I don't know if you've guys seen this kid Rob Font, but man, he is very skilled. He's uh, he's one of these really good strikers. And not only does he have knockout power, but he's very effective with his footwork, very good with his head movement. And if by some stretch of the imagination, things don't go well for him on the feet, he can take you down on the ground, he can grind it out, and he can also tap you out with uh, with darts chokes. This guy's got the complete package. And Joey Gomez, you know, much respect for him to, for taking this fight on one week short notice. But I do think Rob Font is going to show off those skills at UFC Boston. Now, James, I got to know, man, you know about this kid Rob Font? Yeah, um, I saw the the video you sent me. I I had watched it. Um, yeah, I definitely think he's gonna win. I mean, it's he's he's very skilled, you know. And the guy he's fighting takes the fight on a week notice. That's not really. I mean, he's kind of being thrown to the wolves. But we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm I'm picking Rob Font though for sure. Yeah, now John, I gotta know because it has been over a year and a half since the last time we saw Rob Font fight. But 
at the same token, he looked absolutely incredible the last time we saw him fight when he knocked out George Roop. And it's not just the fact that he knocked out George Roop, it's how he knocked out George Roop. I mean, that footwork, that evasiveness, he really came in there and put on a show. What do you think about this fight, John? Yeah, I mean, uh, this this kid looks good. You know, I think he's he's only lost once in his career. Is uh, from from memory. Um, you know, it's it's tough taking on a a late notice replacement, but um, yeah, gets a good opportunity on you know on on what is a very kind of underrated card in a way. The fact that it's going out as a fight night on Fox. This is a pay per view, really. When you look at the names that are on here, um, so so yeah, it's a good opportunity for him. And uh, interesting to see him build, you know, in the bantamweight division when the stakes are so high for, for the bantamweights on uh, on Sunday night. Yeah, no doubt about it. If uh, Joey Gomez can go out there and get that upset, I mean, he's definitely going to make a name for himself in the UFC. And in my opinion, even if he loses this fight, he's going to go on and do some big things. But Rob Font, this is a guy you guys got to look out for. Now, next up, we got a 205-pound matchup between Ilir Latifi and Sean the Real O.C. O'Connell. Now, Latifi currently stands as a very big favorite. He's minus 265 with the comeback on the Real O.C. at plus 225. Now, John, I know that you've sat front row for a bunch of Ilir Latifi's fights, so you know the inside scoop. Tell me what you think about this fight. Yeah, I like this fight. Um, I always look forward to a, a Sean O'Connell uh, weigh-in as well. Uh, that's, that's always entertaining. Um, Latifi is a, a, a powerhouse. I urge anyone to go and uh, Google his, his deadlift video that he did a, a, maybe a year or so back. It's ridiculous. He is super strong. Very good wrestler, uh, training with the All-Stars. He's one of Alexander Gustafsson's uh, main sparring partners. They've got a lot of good strikers as well as mixed martial artists going down there. It's a very, very good camp indeed, one of the strongest in Europe. He has um, real star quality about him outside of the octagon. Um, he is a, tr a true gentleman, very, very nice guy indeed. Um, he's had some... Interesting luck in the, in the octagon. I think he got um, folded up by Jan Vlahovic uh, with a with a liver kick, uh, which was I think I was calling that fight. Yeah, so that that was unfortunate for him. But he came back against Hans Stringer, uh, knocked him out in Glasgow. Looked very good indeed. So you know, looking to kick on against Sean O'Connor, who's who's looking really good as well. You know, I think he's got a couple of good TKO wins to his credit as well. I think he was on the same card as. As you, James, when he when he beats um, Anthony Paroche. Um, yeah, I, I um, agree with John. Uh, I think if with with the odds, though, I would I might take a chance with Sean O'Connor. I really like his attitude, and I like his. Uh, he seems like he's a very confident individual, and I, I like it. And he's you know he got heavy hands. He just he seems like he's a little small for the weight class. He seems like he could make eighty five, and Latifi's a really big, you know, really thick, muscular, strong guy. So if I had to pick, you know, I, I would have to go with Latifi just for on, on the on the size and the strength, and then just the grappling ability versus Sean O'Connell. He's a good, you know, a good puncher, mostly a stand-up guy. So I, I would probably have to take the favorite Latifi. Now, James, do you agree with me when I say that plus two twenty-five is kind of tempting here? I know you briefly alluded to that because I mean. 
In my opinion, Latifi should not be minus 265. I got a lot of respect for the guy, but I think that that line is a little bit off, and you got to give more respect to Sean O'Connell. But that just might be me talking because, you know, uh, Sean O'Connell did come through as the underdog that same night that you, Robert Whitaker, and Brad Scott, all these guys cashed as underdogs that night. Yeah, um, I, I, like I said, I would uh, with those odds, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be hesitant to throw a little money on them for sure, just because it's it's not a un, it's not like it's a, a way one sided lopsided matchup. I think that Latif, I don't think Latife is going to be able to. I think Sean O'Connell will be able to stand with them and, and possibly catch them, but uh, my my bets would be that he, he's going to get taken down and maybe grinded out in the decision. But um, yeah, the with the odds like that, yeah, it's definitely worth taking a chance. Now, John, when he got body kicked by Jan Blankovic, I mean, can you hear that sound despite wearing the headphones or what? Yeah, I I actually turned down a lot of the noise that um, I have a, a very unique setup in commentary because because uh, <laughs> I'm yeah I'm, I'm special apparently, um, and and I try and separate out a lot of the different uh, atmospheric noises so that I can always hear Dan over the crowd, for example. So. I tend to turn that down, which sometimes means I don't hear the atmosphere, but it does mean that I get to hear what's going in in that octagon and and our microphones, my microphone and Dan's microphone, and and, and you are right, actually, yeah, it's uh, that was a rib cruncher, that one, yeah, you 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 heard that one thud home. Now let me ask you this, because we have the chance to talk to you right here, right now, on half the battle. When you got those headphones in, obviously you can hear Dan, you can hear what's going on inside the octagon, but do you have another voice in your head? You know, is there a, a producer, someone behind the scenes talking to you, or what? Absolutely, yeah. I think the the biggest jump up from doing regional uh, mixed martial arts broadcasts uh, to to the UFC products, and, and actually any kind of European sport, to then do a UFC broadcast is a massive leap. And that is because there is, it's not just calling fights. You've got the UFC broadcast, specifically the UFC stuff to, to handle as well. So you've got lots of ins and outs. You've got lots of fan shots. You've got lots of scenics to get to. Then you're throwing to bits of uh, videotape on fight camp, locker rooms. So I've got someone continuously in my ear saying, okay, you know, End of the round, we're going to throw to a promotion about UFC 194, Q-John, you know, that kind of stuff. Then we come out with, as I'm finishing that, it might be the end of a, of a, uh, of a fight. Now, okay, after this, we're going to go to locker rooms. After locker rooms, you need to then come out with a lead to something else. And I'll be talking to Dan during these instructions. So, yeah, that, that took a bit of getting used to. And, um, and I challenge anyone to, you know, put a headset on have someone talk in their rear and have a conversation with someone else. It's, it's really tricky. You know, I, I'm trying to make my job sound really difficult. here. It's the best job in the world, by the way. But um, yeah, it, it, just on a personal level, it, it takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah, and everyone thinks they can do what you do until it's time to yeah. do what you do, my friend. And obviously, you know, for you, because you are a professional, it is a dream job. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's no better place in the world for me on fight night than sitting octagon side even when I go to UFC events, uh, I, I've watched Glasgow. I was out in Vegas in December, and I've watched as a fan, and it's great, but there's just nothing quite like being involved in a, in a fight night. There's nothing like it, and yeah, it's, it's so special. I know we've got lots to cover, but just to give you an example, there are only a few people that are that, are that close to the action, and 
a lot of the positive energy, because it is positive in a UFC event. Not many people are booing, and when they do, it's very limited. So you've got all this positive energy which is being fired to the middle of the octagon. And because of our seating position, it kind of goes through you. So so you, you're affected by this. So um, um, James will obviously be able to talk about this uh, because they would be cheering specifically for, for him and his colleagues at the, at the UFC. But I pick up a little bit of that. And when the fight night is done, I'm jacked, you know, and, and there's just nowhere else where I think I'm ever going to be able to get that kind of energy and, and feel that and be so close to sort of the epicenter of something truly special. Um, and, and I really, that, that's something that um, I'm grateful for and, and, and I enjoy that. I make sure I take it in. These days, I'm a lot more present during the broadcast. Before, it was, it was like steering a really a ship in really rough waters and just trying to get through it. But um, now I'm a bit more confident with it all. It's, uh, I can enjoy those moments, and, and, they're, and they're very enjoyable. Yeah, it's incredible. Now, James, you actually fight inside the octagon. What's that like, man? Um, it's the greatest film in the world. <laughs> I love it. It's um, uh, it's 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 imagine the most intense thing, whatever your thing is. Say you love to go ride roller coasters at a theme park. You go to the most high, the highest, the biggest one, the scariest one, and you, like your adrenaline. It, you're like for me, I'm like a little kid in there. It's like when I walk out, I just want to soak it all up, and I, I just want to touch everybody's hand on the way out. I'm scr- I'm in the back. I think I'm a little less nervous than a lot of guys. Um, I don't know if that's just naturally something that I am, or I just I also from amateur boxing. I had fought a bunch in a short time period, so it kind of killed my nerves as far as being nervous for fights. And I'm uh, I'm like a little kid. I'm screaming in the back. I'm all happy. And when I get out there, I'm I, I just what, especially when you win. It's there's nothing like it in the world. Like I can't even describe it. Like I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade that feeling for anything. It's the, it's the greatest film in the world, and I, I really feel blessed to, to have the job I have for sure. Yeah, and I feel blessed to be able to watch you do your work, my man. And next up, we got a lightweight fight between Darren Cruikshank and Paul Felder. And obviously, James, you're very familiar with both these guys. You know, they're in your weight class. You knocked out Darren Cruikshank on the Ultimate Fighter, and he's currently a plus 220 underdog against Paul Felder, who sits at minus 260. Now, in my opinion, I think that Paul Felder is going to do what a lot of people thought he was going to do. When he uh, faced uh, Ross Pearson and Edson Barbosa, I think this time he's going to go out there and get the job done. What's your opinion on this fight, James? It's a toss-up. Um, I think that, honestly, from a skill standpoint, I think Krushank has more skills. Krushank's a better wrestler. You know, he's a Division II All-American. He's a high-level uh, taekwondo and kickboxer. But the difference is, you know, that always comes the factor with MMA and fighting in general is, is heart. And I just don't think Krushank has the heart that Paul Felder has, and he's not as mean and as gritty as Paul Felder is. Um, this It's a close fight, though. I mean, either Krushank can, can – maybe Krushank can edge out a decision, just outpoint him, or – I mean, because one thing I will say, Paul Felder takes a lot of shots. He stands in front like a traditional Thai guy. And you know he he does have a you know he does have a good power good power in his strikes and but he's more of a you know a, a traditional Muay Thai fighter and he takes he takes some shots and um uh, I don't know he he's coming off a, I know Paul Felder's got a lot of hype behind him but he he does I mean he is coming off a two fight losing streak granted the, the two people he lost to were very high level but uh, I I guess if I have to pick I I'll, I'll probably pick Felder as well. 
Yeah, I got Felder too. And, you know, from a technical standpoint, I think Benil Dariush really showed something that you got to do when you fight a guy like Darren Cruikshank, especially if you're a kicker. What he did was every time he'd kick Cruikshank to the body or the leg, Darren wouldn't respond with anything. So it was basically like a free shot. And that's exactly what Master Rafael Cordero spoke about in his interviews, that they noticed that on the tape. He doesn't respond to the inside leg kicks or the body kicks. Now, in your case, James, you obviously knocked him out with a knee, so it didn't really matter if you were going to kick him in the body or the leg. But in Felder's case, that dude loves ripping those kicks. You know, he's working with the same uh, Thai coach, you know, Rude Boy, the guy that coaches Cowboy Cerrone. You know those guys love their combos. And if Paul Felder gets off on those body kicks, you know, hopefully for Crookshanks, sake he's been working on that part of his game and he'll return fire but if uh, Felder and his coaches have been watching the tape they might notice that now John what's your perspective on Darren Cruikshank versus Paul Felder I remember watching um, Darren Cruikshank when he first came to the UFC and, and was really really excited by him um, I don't think he's necessarily lived up to the expectations that I'd hoped uh, when I first saw him um, I don't know why that is. I think maybe he just looked spectacular in his debut or in the first few fights that I caught. Um, interestingly, though, these, these fighters are in similar positions. I think they've both lost uh, two on the bounce. Um, before that, they had some success. Or, or uh, I think uh, Darren Cruikshank had a no contest with KJ Noons. But both of these guys, you know, are... are potential bonus winners whenever they step inside the octagon, which makes them, you know, must-see viewing. Um, both tough. I think I agree with a lot of the points that James made about about Felder and, and Crookshank and maybe their different kind of fight mentality. So it's going to be interesting to see how how they do. But I think Felder's faced, he's faced some tougher opposition a little bit. Maybe Edge in the last couple of fights, you look at like Pearson and Barboza versus James Crouch and, uh, and Benil Dariush. There's not a lot between it, but in terms of experience, I think that Felder's been out-experienced a little bit recently, so that this is a good opportunity for him to, you know, go up against someone who's uh, who's going to stand with him, and we'll see what happens. But that one could be a really explosive fight. Yeah, I agree. We'll see what happens indeed. But one thing we can both agree on is that the heart and the mind are two of the strongest weapons when, you know, used effectively. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. And uh, and James being a, an athlete himself will will have seen that in the gym many times, even, you know, in, in the training that I've done um, over the years. You, you can some people just have it. Some people don't. Some people are great in training. Some people are great in competition, and um, and as as you just alluded to, it, it can make a fighter be completely different from a technician. Yeah. Now, speaking of that topic, James, what's your opinion on the guys who perform really well in the gym, but it doesn't necessarily translate when they step inside the octagon? Uh yeah. That's that's um uh, that's always a weird one to, to see. Because I've trained with some guys, you would literally think that these people, oh, man, all they need is their opportunity. They're going to be a world champion because they're that good. Like, I, I know guys right now that aren't in the UFC that you've never even heard of. They, they, they probably kick half the guys in the UFC's ass in training. But when the when the fight comes, they freeze up. They can't. They just can't handle pressure. They don't know how to deal with nerves. And it's... It's um, a different, you know, different story when the lights come on. And um, a good example is uh, of the opposite of that is uh, now I don't now I've only trained with him a couple times, but when uh, Kelvin Gastelum came to uh, Texas, he was training with Johnny Hendricks at Team Takedown. 
Um, I, I trained with him. I sparred with him. I rolled with him. And I mean, he was good, but I wasn't impressed like I am right now. Like, I, I didn't think that there's no like when he was matched up against Rick Story, I thought Rick Story was going to win that fight. Um, that was the camp they were in when he was here. And I was thinking, you know, Rick Story's going to beat him for sure. And he went in there and he beat, I mean, he, it was a close decision, I guess, but he, I thought he, he beat, you know, he clearly won and he did win the decision. And then he just goes on a tear and starts beating all the, beating up everybody in the division. And um, I wasn't impressed with him at all in the gym. You know, I'm not going to talk bad about him. Like he, like he was, uh, he sucked. He, he didn't suck by any means, but I, he wasn't from, from trailing. I didn't think that, Hey, this guy's going to be a top 10 fighter in the next, in the next year. And he, he, he did end up being so, so I was very impressed with that. Yeah, I'm actually. I'm really glad you brought that up, James, because I've heard the same thing. I've heard that Kelvin Gastelum in the gym, you know, it's whatever. A lot of guys can, you know, get dominant positions on him, can tag him on the feet. But when it comes to fight night, this guy is a performer in every sense of the word. And, you know, I, I can relate from personal experiences. You know, I played the drums for a very long time. And sometimes when it comes to band practice, you know, whatever, it's no big deal. But when it comes time to playing that show, that's when you got to, you know, turn your brain on and become a performer. And I think that's what we see with Kelvin Gastelum. Now, James, you alluded to the fact that uh, Kelvin came down to train with Johnny Hendricks. Now, I recently noticed that you posted a tweet with you training with Johnny Hendricks. Tell us what it was like training with the former welterweight champion. Um, well, actually, I've trained off and on with Johnny a little bit since, I believe, right before he fought John Fitch. When he fought John Fitch, I, I, had, I had sparred him a few different times and, I train with him. Um, it, I do jiu-jitsu with him at, at one of the schools here in, in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, called Genesis Jiu-Jitsu. I've been training there off and on with him and the rest of Team Takedown. They they come there um, usually on every Thursday. And so I've, I've trained with him. I mean, it's, been, it's probably been like a year since I enrolled with him, though. But uh, I've, I've trained with him several times in the past and stuff like that. And it's always good training with him. Super strong. Super, you know, he doesn't look like a, a – a freak athlete, but he is deceptively athletic, super athletic and um, uh, super strong with the wrestling base he has and really good jiu-jitsu, really good defense as far as like, you're not going to, you know, his little short compact frame, you're not going to catch him in any submissions whatsoever. And um, he's very well trained, you know, all the years he's had with Mark Lehman, who's a very high level jiu-jitsu coach, he's very well trained. So, I mean, he's very well rounded and it's always great training with him. How does that left hand feel in person? Because, you know, I, I've sparred with some guys who obviously aren't going 100%, but they have that kind of power where they can barely graze you with a jab and you don't you don't know uh, what street you're on. You know what I mean? So what was it like with that left hand? Um, very powerful. Um, uh, and it's crazy. It's the uh, the timing of it. Uh, Johnny Hendricks is one of the few people, like I said, he, he's crazy, deceptively athletic. Like you wouldn't think that he would be able to close distance the way he does. You know, how like you see like a sprinter that's really fast and have that quick first step. That's the way he is. Like he, he can close distance. Like he can probably hit you as far away as I could hit you. And my reach is a foot longer than his. Probably maybe not a, quite a foot, but 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 at least a good eight to ten inches. It, he close his explosiveness and his legs. I guess from all those years of shooting and wrestling and stuff. I mean, he can just close distance like crazy fast, and that's what really gets you even more than the power. You just you're you're just shocked that you got hit by that from from as far away as he is and as short as he is. Now, James, on that topic, you got an early prediction for Johnny Hendricks versus Wonder Boy? Um, yeah, I think Johnny's gonna um uh probably just I think probably grind them out, Johnny. I, it's gonna be highly unlikely unless Wonder Boy can just catch him with something not, you know fancy or nice. 
it's going to be highly unlikely that, that, that Wonder Boy can stop Johnny Hendricks' takedown. I mean, he's he is the best wrestler in the whole division and one of the probably top five best wrestlers in the whole U- UFC. He's a two-time D1 uh, national champion, so it's going to be unlikely he can stop it, but, but we'll see. Yeah, that is one fight that I cannot wait to see. Now, next up, we got to talk about Maximo Blanco versus Luke Sanders. Now, Maximo Blanco, he's a minus 130 favorite, and the comeback on Luke Sanders is plus 110. Now, for those that don't know, Luke Sanders, he's the former RFA bantamweight champion, and, I mean, this kid is a stud. He can go out there. He can grind you out. He can throw some hands. My biggest issue with him in this specific spot is that I think Luke Sanders could fight at flyweight, and when you talk about a guy like Maximo Blanco, you know, he's been in there with big lightweights such as Pat Healy, and he's a little bit more experienced at the, at the highest level. So I'm going to favor Maximo Blanco to win this fight. And also, Luke is taking it on very, very short notice. You know, Maximo was initially supposed to fight Dennis Bermudez. Now, it's a, very interesting because Bermudez pulled out of the fight. And then the very next week, he took a fight with uh, Tatsuya Kawajiri. Now, that's neither here nor there. But in terms of Maximo Blanco versus Luke Sanders, man, they're going to go at it. And there's either going to be an early finish or it's going to be a three-round grinding war. Now, John, I got to know right here, right now on Half the Battle, what's your perspective on Blanco versus Sanders? Well, I don't know an awful lot about uh, Cool Hand. Um, I know that RFA is a very good organization, um, so I expect him to be battle-ready and battle-tested. Uh, Blanco's an exciting fighter. I think he's, uh, is he like Venezuelan as well? I think he's yeah, down in he's- Albuquerque on a three-fight win streak. Uh, so coming in with a lot of momentum, you know, and if you've been pitched to go up against Dennis Bermudez, I mean, that's that's a crazy high-level fight. So... It was a big opportunity for him there, and now he doesn't necessarily have that opportunity to really make as much noise. This is this is now a big opportunity for, for Luke. So the mindset changes a little bit, especially you know when it's deep in, deeper into a into a fight camp. I know individual athletes respond differently to that, but I've got to go with a guy that's got the UFC experience, who's on a win streak, uh, is fighting. You know, on the the FS1 prelims, it's a big deal. So uh, I would, I would, you know, if I if I was a betting man, I'd probably go in that direction. But um, yeah, interesting to see what uh, what this guy from the RFA organization brings. Absolutely. Now, James, from a betting perspective, it's interesting because a lot of people are scared to bet on Maximo Blanco because, you know, in the past he's been DQ'd. But the way I see it is that Luke Sanders is very tough, that even if he eats, you know, an illegal knee, he's not going to look for the door. You know, this isn't a Akira Khorasani, no disrespect, but Luke Sanders, he's going to stick in there till the very bitter end. So if you are picking Blanco from a betting perspective, I don't think it's a bad call. Um, I, I don't know a lot about Luke Sanders. Um, I've, I've never really seen him fight. I do know Blanco is, I mean, he's on a three-fight winning streak, but I think he's a little, he's kind of a hot and cold fighter. Like one day he looks like, you know, phenomenal top five fighter in the world with flying knee finishes and stuff like that. And then the next time he looks like, you know, he doesn't look as good. So, um, uh, but I, I, I'm with John. I would have to probably lean towards the guy with the more experience, um, more high level experience, and you know the confidence, a three three fight winning streak. Um, so I, I would probably go with Blanco as well. Yeah, all three of us for Blanco. But Luke Sanders is going to have a very bright future 
in the UFC. Now, next up, we got to talk about Ben Saunders versus Patrick Cote. Now, this fight is even money. I mean, it's a pick 'em. You can go either way, and it's a very interesting dynamic because, in my opinion, it all comes down to strategy with this fight. Because if Patrick Cote decides to take down Ben Saunders, in my opinion, he's going to be in big trouble. Now, me and some of my friends, we like to joke about how the rubber guard doesn't work in MMA, but I'll tell you what, Ben Saunders is one of the few exceptions that can make it work in MMA because if he gets you in that rubber guard, he's going to start blasting those big elbows from the bottom. If that doesn't work, you'll look for the triangle, go-go plata. I mean, the guy can do it all on the ground, but the thing with this fight is that if it stays standing, I really do think that Cote has the advantage. I know that Ben Saunders has that Muay Thai background, but if you watched his last fight with Kenny Robertson, which I actually scored it for Kenny, but it is what it is, as we all know, controversial decisions are a part of this sport, but Kenny Robertson, he did drop Ben Saunders more than once in that fight, and if Patrick Cote watched that fight, which I know he did, he's going to look to keep the fight standing, and I do think he has the edge there, but if he gets this fight to the ground like he's been doing in some of his other fights, he's been taking guys down a lot, you know, he's been getting really confident with his wrestling, I think it could be a bad night for him, so to me, it comes down to strategy and who executes their game plan. Obviously, most fights come down to that, but in this specific one, I can really pinpoint, in my personal opinion, where each guy has the edge. Now, what do you think about that, James? Um, I like Ben Saunders, actually. I have trained with him before, uh, briefly. Not 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 that much, but just a couple times. But um, uh, I, I think Cote um, should have an advantage in the stand-up, and I think that as good as uh, Ben Saunders' as jiu-jitsu is, uh, he really is not an offensive wrestler, so he's probably not going to really be able to take Cote down. So should Cote choose to keep it standing, I think he, he should be able to outland. You know, I mean, Ben Saunders got some really good kicks and stuff like that and some neat and good clinching game and stuff. But I think for the most part, I think Cote's either going to catch him and drop him or, or, or win the decision, you know, with a lot of power punching and probably backs Ben Saunders up quite a bit and beat him up on the cage some. And I, I would pick uh, Cote. Now, John, before you give me your analysis for this fight, I got to know, whose career resurgence are you more impressed with? Because both of these guys, both of these guys, they've come a really long way. They have. And, and I, well, I've probably got to be more impressed with Cote. Uh, his, his name sticks or is rooted in my memory from my earlier days of watching mixed martial arts. I think he's only lost a couple of times since like 2011. Um, he, and the, the opposition that he's been up against is, is really top draw. He's, he's fought the very best. Um, it's an interesting fight, and I, and I like James's analysis of this, actually, because Saunders being a more kind of striker, jiu-jitsu fighter, then, yeah, Kenny Robertson was a wrestler, and but he's going to then, he, he's going to use those kind of wrestling assaults and, and bring that to the game, but Cote doesn't really do that, he's capable, but I think that he's going to probably try and uh, sit, see this one out on the feet, see how they do, but at the same time, you know, uh, Ben's capable there. He's capable of causing an upset. He's he's long. Um, uh, he moves pretty well. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that the more technical striking is from Cote. It'd be interesting, though. I I think it's great to see Cote at what thirty five uh, at the top of the game. Um, he's a very honest. He's a very honest mixed martial artist. A real professional guy. Uh, comes across well. Uh, you know, good to have people like him in the sport. Yeah, no doubt about it. Got it. And next up, we got a lightweight matchup between Ross Pearson and Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo. Now, this is interesting because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've called a couple of Ross Pearson's fights, John? 
I have, yeah. I know Ross. Um, Christy, his uh, his wife as well, works for the UFC. She's one of the Octagon girls. So, yeah, when I went out to Australia, I was I, I spent a little bit more time with Ross as well. He's he's a really nice guy, and he's a fan favorite because of the way that he fights. Um, I remember in Glasgow when he fought Evan Dunham, he was just so frustrated. Um, Dunham fought the right fight, but but Ross was super frustrated. So to see him come back and get the win over Paul Felder was was good for his career. You know, I think he alternates uh, wins and losses a fair bit in recent times. So it'd be good to see him build on that because I think just before the Ally Quinta fight, he was really looking to try and make a play for the highest echelons of the division. But um, but it didn't happen. Ally Quinta, heavy hands, you know, he, he put him away that night. And I know Ross was devastated. But, yeah, I think Ross has got all the tools. Um, but he's got to, I mean, Trinado's just, he's, he's deceivingly strong and, and he's a very, very capable fighter. He's on a really good win streak. I think he's won four. So I think, um, I think this is a fight to set up the rise of Trinaldo rather than the resurgence of of Ross Pearson. But Ross definitely has the ability to to cause an upset. Yeah, and I'm very curious what Francisco Trinaldo's game plan is in this fight because obviously we all know if you stand and bang with Ross Pearson, it could be a short night. But at the same token, Masuranduba's stand-up has been getting a lot better, hence uh, the first-round KO of Chad Lepree. Even the fight with Norman Park, which, you know, I, honestly, I did score it for Storm and Norman, but... There's no doubt that Masuranduba showed big improvements in his stand-up. Now, John, do you think there's a chance that Francisco could recreate the game plan that Evan Dunham used? No, I don't, because Evan Dunham is a is is a very very skilled practitioner, very experienced, um, and and his muscle memory was very much geared towards that kind of fight. Whereas Trinaldo is um, he, he's not as tight as that. Um, and I and I think that it only works just because of the very high level that Dunham was. Uh, Ross is very good with his takedown defense, typically, but um, you know Dunham was a different animal. So no, I, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, interesting, you should mention the Norman Park fight. Uh, Norman Park's career has been quite interesting, and I think he's he's a little underrated. He's faced some tough guys with Trinaldo and. Um, Grayson Tebow, I remember speaking to him about Trinado. It was a late notice uh, replacement. But um, yeah, the reason why it's relevant, I guess, is obviously Ross Pearson and uh, and Norman Park. Ross Pearson was his coach on the Ultimate Fighter. So he's like an earlier version from our side of the pond, if you like. He he came a little bit earlier and has been flying the flag for longer. Um, So hopefully that experience will serve him well. Wow, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's such an interesting dynamic. I completely forgot that Ross Pearson coached Norman Park. So thank you for bringing that up, my friend. Now, James, this is your weight class, man. Who's going to take it, Ross or Francisco? Um, this fight is really a close one. It's a, a kind of a pick em because I think both of them are, have uh, that – Ross Pearson has that power boxing, traditional European kickboxing style – almost like a Dutch Muay Thai fighter and Trinaldo's almost the same, you know, a, a Brazilian Muay Thai guy um, with, with Trinaldo has a good a ground game as well. Um, I think that Ross is like John was saying, I think that I don't think Trinaldo's going to, you know, 
take Ross Pearson down as much as, as Evan Dunham did. It's a, it's a different style, and Evan Dunham is really like a grindy cage guy, almost like a Randy Couture kind of as far as like the pressure, putting people in the cage and and then trying to try working for takedowns and dirty boxing them and stuff. And Chernado's not really big with that style. Um, uh, I think someone's going to get knocked out. I think that they're both going to stand there, you know, and I think Ross Pearson – his defense is probably a little bit better as far as his head movement and stuff, but at the same time, it's really hard to fight southpaws, and some guys struggle with it. I don't, I'm not sure how Ross does it with it, but Trinado is a southpaw. Um, this is a close fight. What's the odds on this fight? It's minus 150 for Ross Pearson with the comeback on Masurandubat Rinaldo at plus 130. Okay, um, shoots. And, you know, I know I, I heard what John was saying about, uh, you know, it's almost like a come up for uh, – for Trinaldo because he's on the winning streak and stuff. But at the same time, Trinaldo's an older guy. I mean, he doesn't, I guess he doesn't look that old, but he's like 36 years old, if I believe right. It's not like he's, um, uh, you know, uh, a young and up and coming prospect. Um, he, I mean, he's, he's a prospect for sure, but he's not young. Um, uh, I, I guess I would have to take Pearson. I, I think, I think Ross is either going to, someone's either going to get knocked out. They're going to stand right in the middle and trade. But I think Ross, you know, his head movement is really good in the pocket. And, um, Neither one of them, I don't, I don't believe, have a big reach or advantage over each other. They both, you know, are, are relatively the same height and same size and everything. So I think I'm going, I'm going to go with Ross. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the age because you know it's not often you see guys in the lighter weight classes, you know, turning their career around, going on those big win streaks. You know, often you see that in the heavyweights because guys like Fabricio Vaikavala were doomed. You know, he's 38 years old and now he's wearing that UFC championship belt. So it's quite an interesting dynamic, in my opinion, that the older guy is having that career resurgence, James. Yeah, um, I think, you know what it is? I think the way MMA is evolving and the way people are learning how to train, slowly starting to learn how to train better and smarter, I think people are still able to perform at a, at a, at a higher age now, even in the latter weight classes, look what Frankie Edgar just did a few weeks or a month ago. Um, you know, Frankie Edgar knocked out. Frankie Edgar's thirty four years old now. Knocked out Chad Mendes in the first round, um, uh, and has been performing great. I think the guys are learning how um, how to maintain their body at a, at a later age now. So, um, uh, I definitely think that with if people keep being smart they can they can you know maintain their careers longer than they ever have before now next up we got a heavyweight matchup between travis brown who's a minus 155 favorite with matt mitrione as the plus 135 underdog now there's a very interesting dynamic in this fight because in my opinion travis brown he's got more heart he's got more ways to win but if you've watched his last couple fights, he's not taking the shot like he used to. You know, obviously against Alistair Overeem, man, that first round was brutal and he found a way to win. That's credit to his heart, credit to his mind. Then that next fight with Fabricio Werdum, he kind of got taken to school for five straight rounds and then he decided, hey, I need to switch things up. I need to go to a new camp. That's what he did. And uh, he goes out there against Brendan Schaub, you know, gets a first round stoppage. But then against Andre Arlovsky, he goes in there as a minus 435 favorite. And man, you know, he starts getting dropped with backhands and stuff like that. And, you know, much respect to Travis Brown. He's a very confident guy. He's a very skilled fighter. And his heart and mind really goes a long way. But, man, if Mitrione clocks him on the chin, you know, obviously at heavyweight, anyone can go down. But with the recent decline in his ability to take a punch, I feel like Mitrione could, could you know, shut the lights out. But at the same token... If Travis gets on top of him, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Mitrione kind of looked for the door a little bit. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic in this fight. What do you think, James? 
I agree uh, with everything you just said. Um, uh, Mitch, you're on super athletic, and you know, I, I don't, you know, um, I question Mitrion's heart sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, like that Ben Rothwell fight, I felt like he did, he he didn't even try to fight that choke. I think he could have at least you know gave a little bit more effort uh, on not getting finished. Um, uh, Travis Brown, super tough, really big, huge guy. Um, but you know his chin, like you said, is you know has been tested a few times in the last few fights. Um, this is a close fight as well. Um, I think it's it's hard to tell. How tall is Matt Mitrione? Like probably about six four, and uh, Travis Brown six seven. Yeah, um, that, it's hard to tell what the size difference is when they're in person. Um, uh, because I, I want I want to bet with Mitrione just because he's he's a southpaw. He's very fast. He's a heavyweight, very fast and athletic. But his you know he I, I do question his heart um, sometimes when he gets tested. I feel like he breaks. Um, uh, uh, so I don't know if I have to pick. I I, I guess I'll will take Mitrione. Yeah, heart goes a long way, but man, if you can't take the shots like you used to, that's not good news either. Now, John, I gotta know, man, what's your perspective on this heavyweight matchup? I think the heavyweight division is is becoming really exciting again. We've we've seen some like you know Overeem and and it you know Arlovsky. There's a changing of the guard. There's, they're reshuffling the pack quite a lot. And, and you just don't know. When these heavyweights get inside that octagon and it's being proven you know, time after time again, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, that front choke on, um, uh, on Mitrione, and, and I mean, yeah, he, he double hand tapped uh, to get out of that. So that, that must have gone on quick, whether Mitrione is just not a fan of having that sensation i don't know but that that was that was interesting got to feel sorry for men like uh, ben rothwell as well i saw him out in dublin Th- he is not getting the rub of the green the roll of the dice uh, is you know anyway but but uh, these guys travis brown massive 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 guy fights very good at range um, very good at, very good at range but also when it comes to the the close quarter stuff with knees and elbows the guy's brutal whether or not that's still part of his game with the Glendale camp. We don't know. He didn't look good against Arlovsky. He, he looked, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good fight. I don't know if there were other factors at play in that. I know there was some stuff going on in his personal life. Uh, and then he's fighting an old, his old team, his old teammate. It's, it's a lot of stuff going on there. But, um, but this is a different slate now. Matrione, uh, sorry, uh, fighting on the outside, very lively. But I think he can get caught coming in uh, by Travis Brown. Um, Travis has got to tuck his chin, though, because uh, if he gets flipped, then, then I agree. Uh, whether or not you're starting to get a bit chinny, um, you're a heavyweight and you're going to get hit with force. So got to be very careful. Yeah, I think you both bring some very good points to the table. And what John said about with the heavyweights, you just never know. I mean, it's true. You just never know because there's so many ways that this fight could end. Now, next up... In James' division, once again, this is a very exciting matchup. We got Anthony Showtime Pettis. He's a huge favorite, minus 345, with the comeback on the underground king, Eddie Alvarez, at plus 285. Now, man, I've been watching uh, both these guys for a very long time. Obviously, Anthony Pettis in the WEC, Eddie Alvarez back in, uh, in Bellator, and even before that, back when he fought in Japan. I mean, both these guys are true badasses, but in my opinion, 
Eddie Alvarez, obviously, and not in my opinion, just fact, you know, he does get rocked every single fight in the first round, but it doesn't seem to me like he's really added much to his game. He's just, you know, he's very good at the basics, and, the, and sometimes that goes a long way. Now, with Anthony Showtime Pettis, I mean, one doesn't simply jump off the cage and kick you in the head, you know what I mean? And that's exactly what uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis brings to the table. And if you take this guy down, you know, he'll tap you out with an arm bar, unless you just have incredible top control, which Eddie Alvarez, uh, you know, much respect to him. He's a legend in the sport, but I think Rafael Dos Anjos is just, you know, he's the champion for a reason. And in that fight, you know, I've said publicly that if the Anthony Pettis that fought RDA shows up, he's going to beat Eddie Alvarez. Now, a lot of people are like, well, what do you mean? He got his butt whooped for five straight rounds. Well, if you go back and you watch that fight again, you know, Showtime Pettis landed some clean head kicks on the chin of Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, Rafael, being the champion that he is and just having an incredible titanium jaw, he walked right through it. In Eddie's case, I do not think he can eat those kicks the same way that Rafael did. I think that once he starts feeling those kicks, man, I don't think he's going to quit. I just think he'll go out because Eddie doesn't quit. He's as tough as they come, and he'll fight till the bitter end. But with Showtime Pettis, I mean, you saw the faces that Benson Henderson was making when he ate those body kicks, and Benson Henderson is one of the toughest dudes in this game. You guys know that. So, I mean, when Showtime uh, shows up, he's one of the most dynamic, dangerous, and just unbelievable fighters of this generation. Now, John, I got to know, man, because, you know, it's not often we get to see Showtime Pettis fight, but when he does, it's usually a treat. What do you think about this lightweight fight? I think it's I think it's a great fight. Any time that Pettis steps into the octagon, I, I get really really excited. You know, Eddie Alvarez is um, is a very successful mixed martial artist. He's got a, a storied career, two time Bellator lightweight champion. Um, had a, he's had a tough uh, blessing with the with the UFC. He came in, I think he fought Donald Cerrone in his um, in his debut, then fought Melendez in a tough battle. Um, but for me, I it's like that Conor McGregor factor that um, we were talking about off air where Anthony Pettis has an X factor. Um, that X factor showed itself against, uh, against Benson when he pulled out that armbar. I mean, that, that was some crazy shit. You know, uh, we never expected him to be able to do that. And he just shows that he's always adding to his toolkit. Um, you know, I think it ruined the, uh, the narrative a little bit when, when RDA came came through and again and just just evolved and has developed into this incredible uh, all-round fighter and and beat him but um you know he is a he has champion quality about him and and he has that mindset so i think this is this is his opportunity to go back out there and say okay that was uh that was a bad night for me um i obviously stylistically didn't match strategically whatever it was he was the better man on the night with reference to the current champion uh but now i'm gonna have to put away this this guy who's at number four and um and i think there's you can make a very strong case for for pettis winning this one yeah now james once again this is your weight class showtime pettis or eddie alvarez um well i think it's i think pettis is gonna win easily i don't think this is even gonna be a fight I think Pettis, I, they might go to the second round. I think Pettis should finish him. If not, then he's going to dominate him. I think Honestly, I mean, I hate to sound like a hater, but I think Eddie Alvarez is way over overrated. I think that I don't think that he's even a top 10 fighter in the UFC. I think he came here to the UFC. The UFC signed him with a big contract. 
um, for for leaving Bellator because he was very popular over there, and they wanted him. They want you know basically they just wanted to take Bellator's name uh, name fighter, and they signed him, and he. Uh, he did decent against Cerrone. I mean, he got almost got stopped by leg kicks. He landed his shots and had a few moments. But I thought Gilbert Melendez, who is you know you know an older fighter as well now and not as not as great as he once was, I thought Gilbert Melendez won that fight and Eddie got the the, the split decision. But I thought Gilbert Melendez you know clearly won the fight. Um, I, I think that Eddie Alvarez should be zero and two in the UFC, and I don't even think that he's. Um, He's a top 10 fighter, and um, I think uh, Anthony Pettis is either going to pick him apart or he's going to catch him with something solid and knock him out. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, I bet on Eddie Alvarez as an underdog versus Gilbert Melendez, so I'm not complaining too much about that decision, but one thing I got to say is I do disagree with him being ranked number four in the world, but you know that's no disrespect to Eddie Alvarez. He's an unbelievable fighter, and I do think he'll have a bright future in the UFC, but right here, right now, fighting Showtime Pettis, you know, that's a... That's a very tall order. That's a fight. That, James, it sounds like that's a fight that you would happily take against Eddie. That, is, is it a good matchup for you, do you think? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in my mind, I, I think I could beat Eddie Alvarez right now. I, I, th- I think that that um, I'm a better striker than him. His wrestling is is he was a decent. He's a decent MMA wrestler, but he's not no high-level D1 All-American, you know, high-level um college elite wrestler he he trains with good people he's decent athletic he takes too many punches and um i think he takes too many shots and um he's been dropped a few times yeah he bounces back but i mean that only happens so often and actually it's funny because the other day he he i was watching the countdown show and he, i actually retweeted that he said eddie i, I actually tweeted what what he eddie Alvarez said on there and kind of was laughing i'm uh I put uh, Eddie Alvarez just said that that he could take he could take a better shot or he, uh, he can take damage more than any other fighter in the division. And then I was like, well, that's not something really you should brag about. LOL. I mean, th- he's bragging about you know being able to take shots on the chin. Yeah. That's not really uh, smart for a career. And um, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna act like he he's horrible. He's not horrible by any means. But I I definitely think that 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 pretty much anybody in the top ten could beat him, and I think I could beat him. Yeah, and that's a fight we'd love to see down the line. So, you know, for the fans watching, definitely retweet that you want to see James Vick versus Eddie Alvarez. Now, next up, the main event of the evening, man. We've been waiting a long time for this fight because Dominic Cruz, he's making his return, and he's fighting the current champion, TJ Dillashaw. Obviously, we all know Dominic Cruz never officially lost his belt in a fight. He was stripped because, you know, he was inactive. He was out for about three years. He makes his comeback against Takeya Mizugaki. And, man, he goes out there. He knocks him out in the first round. And it was very impressive because we've never seen Dominic Cruz do that in his WC or his UFC career. He's never finished anyone. I know Brian Bowles didn't answer the bell after the second round. But, you know, that was was to a broken hand. And it turns out I heard an interview with Faber. And Faber said that Bowles didn't even have a broken hand. He thought. He had a broken hand, so they stopped the fight, and it's it's interesting to hear that as well because if you go watch Faber versus Mike Brown the second time, Faber breaks both of his hands and he keeps fighting. So it comes down to that heart thing we were talking about earlier. But back on this subject, man, TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz—that's such a good fight. You know, I'm gonna lean towards TJ Dillashaw. I'll tell you why. I think that you know, obviously. Obviously, we all know Cruz has only fought for one minute in the last four years. It was against an aging journeyman. No disrespect to Takeya Mizugaki. You know, that guy's a WEC vet. He's been around the block. But, man, TJ Dillashaw, he's taking what Dominic Cruz did 
and he's expanding on it. Now he's knocking guys out with head kicks. That's something we never saw from Dominic Cruz. Now Dominic Cruz, that guy is a total genius inside the octagon and outside the octagon. You hear this guy talking, I mean, he's so brilliant. You go watch those uh, BJJ scout videos. I think uh, Zahabi has something to do with that. I might, I might be incorrect, but I think that... Uh, that Firaz Zahabi might be the mastermind behind those videos. If you guys know, let me know. But man, if you watch that, just the intricate movements that Dominic Cruz does are just, you know, off the charts. But TJ Dillashaw's taking that style to the next level, and I think he's gonna show why he's the next generation Bantamweight champion. Now, James, you were on Team Cruz on the Ultimate Fighter. And I mean, you know, Brandon Vera, he came down to my gym back when he was at uh at Alliance and he told me that after practice, Dominic Cruz you know, he just goes uh, dancing around for about two hours straight working on his footwork. And at first, everyone was like, what the hell is wrong with you? But then you see his fights and you see him apply that inside the ring. And everyone's like, oh, that's what he's doing. I mean, the guy, like I said a hundred times, he's a genius. But will that be enough to defeat an active champion like TJ Dillashaw, James? Um, uh, this is a hard win. Um, my heart wants to dominate my head saying... Uh, Dillashaw, it's so hard uh, to, for someone to come back one fight, 50, uh, less than a minute fight in four years. That is, I mean, I've had ring rust before, and ring rust does exist whether any fighter wants to admit it or not, especially when you're fighting someone who fights a fast pace like Dillashaw. He has a very fast pace, as just like Dominic does, and when, you, when you've when only fought one time for a minute in four years, that I mean, that, that, that pace is, is crazy fast. Um, it seems even faster than it, than it normally would be had you been active. Um, I experienced really bad ring rust when I came back and fought uh, 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 Valmir Lazaro. When I fought him, uh, I was in the best shape of my life, and I gassed out after one round, and I'm known for my cardio. It's just um, uh, I hadn't fought in almost a year and a half, and I was just – it was horrible. I was just, just gassed. And um, – uh, uh, it's rough. I, the styles – I mean, I think Dillashaw, he's not going to – He's not going to be able to land those power shots on Dominic, just like Dominic was saying in the interviews. You know, he doesn't even get hit. I mean, Dominic's going to get hit some. Dominic has a good chin, but he's not going to take as much damage as, say, a Hannah Burrell when he's not going to be standing in front. Dominic also poses a threat of a takedown because Dominic's a good MMA wrestler with um, really – Dominic's really, really athletic. People don't realize that. And Dillashaw, like you said, it's, it's hard to bet against Dillashaw because of – how good he's been and, and how active he's been as well. Um, if anybody can come back and win though, after four years, it's Dominic Cruz. I personally know him very well. We're really close. And um, his mindset is like no others. Um, uh, he works harder than anybody I've ever met. And um, he really just hit the, the, his will to win is crazy. And I'm, I'm not going to publicly bet against Dominic Cruz. So I got to pick Dominic Cruz. Yeah, man. And I mean, you got to witness firsthand this guy's work ethic, his mind, his genius. Just talk about that a little bit. Um, it's yeah, it's crazy. He he he. he um, I, since I've left the show, I've actually, you know, one thing that made me feel good working with him is is he he pulled me aside and he told me out of everyone there, you know, he, he pulled me aside and he was like, you know, you have you have a lot of qualities like me. He's like, you can be a world champion. I know you can be. Like he Dominic Cruz personally told me that, so it really you know made me feel good. Obviously about myself, but just he, how much he he's such a uh, a student of the art and he studies the game so well and. He, I mean, you're not going to – I've never met anyone yet that, that works harder than Dominic Cruz. Nobody that I've ever – you know, it's almost been – and I've kind of patterned that. You know, I really believe I work harder than everybody as well. 
Um, it's almost been a curse for him and for me as well as far as injuries. I, I believe that's a lot of reason why he's been injured because he overtrains. And that's why he's been injured so much. And hopefully he's found a balance in that like, I, like I'm trying to as well. Um, but, I mean, his mindset is second to none. And just being around him will make you, will make you a better fighter and a better person for sure. Now, John, obviously this is an incredible matchup on paper. And, you know, Dominic Cruz, if he goes out there and he wins, he'll be doing the unthinkable because what he's attempting to do has never been done before. No one's ever come back from those kind of injuries. I mean, do you think his body's going to hold up on fight night? I, I really don't know. Um, it, it's There are so many things to talk about with this fight. And um, he is an absolute genius of, of the fight game. We've seen that in his analyst work. We've seen that when he's a coach, and we've heard about it from his teammates uh, down at Alliance. Another thing to just, I was just thinking when, when James was talking there, it was going through my mind. So both of these guys have, have had a lot of time to look at one another. Obviously, when Dominic was the champion, TJ's looking up to this guy coming through. And whilst TJ's been on the rise, you know, Dominic's been sat uh, octagon side just looking at this kid come up. And knowing, probably, you know, hoping that he's going to get the opportunity to fight him. So he's probably played that fight out in his mind quite a lot of the time. He has an indomitable will to get back into the octagon. I mean, how many people can take those knocks and still come back? So he's got a never-say-die attitude. But yes, can physically, can his body um, hold out for the pressure that, that TJ Dillashaw is, is going to put him under and the power shots as well i mean the stats they don't lie um he's he's got a higher knockout rate he's actually got the highest striking rate this is dillashaw he's got the highest striking rate in ufc wec bantamweight history so he's evolved the style of um not necessarily his style but he's evolved that high volume high movement unpredictable style and and he's doing it with more power than what than what Cruz did and and interestingly if we link back to what James said about Eddie Alvarez saying how he can take a shot so well Dominic has the best defense so therefore he's going to come back and say well you got to try and hit me but he does he does put himself in positions where his center of gravity is off a little bit um he moves in such a way that lends itself to more I'm I'm going to be in a better position to defend myself rather than attack. Whereas Dillashaw's a bit more on the front foot. He sweeps his feet around the octagon, which means that he can deliver power more quickly. Um, and the head kicks that he can employ, I think, are, are going to be telling. He's also got 100% takedown defense. So if Cruz wants to switch it up, it's not going to be easy for him to do that. So, um, oh man, there's there's so many elements to this. And then you look at the stuff outside the octagon with Dillashaw moving away from Team Alpha Male. That's got to be stressful. Um, he's at, he's at elevation. What are they What are they going to do with him? Are they going to try and change him? Are they going to let him be? Whilst all the while, Cruz has just been sitting there with Eric Del Fiero waiting for his opportunity with the same group of guys sniping away at TJ. He's, he's, he's been getting the upper hand uh, with, the, with the talking. Oh, this is, there's so many, so many elements to this fight. I'm sorry I'm waffling, but it's, there's just so much to consider which makes it 
such a difficult one to analyze, but an exciting and intriguing one at the same time. Yeah, no, both of you guys are getting me so pumped so for this pumped. fight. I was already pumped, but now even more so. And John, you brought up a very good point how Dominic Cruz's footwork can oftentimes lead him off balance. And if you watch that fight with Faber, Faber was actually able to, you know, drop him two or three times, but we all know Faber's not known for that kind of knockout power that someone like TJ Dillashaw has. And it's interesting with TJ because he carries that knockout power with him deep into the fight. As you can recall, he knocked out uh, Hendon Brown in the fifth round, Joe Soto in the fifth round, and then Hendon Brown the next time, I believe it was in the fourth round. So he carries that power with him into the championship rounds, and that could pay dividends on fight night. Yeah, for sure. uh, He's on a four-fight win streak. Um Doing really well. The, the only other thing that I would say, j- just to try and throw some more stuff in the court of, of Dominic Cruz, is he's the strategist. He's the one with the fight brain. And if he needs to change it up mid-fight, I think that he has, the, he has a certain perspective where he will be able to do that. If Dillashaw needs to change it up, that's not probably as natural to him. He will have to take advice from his corner. Um, so, so I think that, you know, in being adaptive during the fight, Cruz might have the upper hand there. But Cruz has only lost the once. Dillashaw's only lost twice. These guys aren't, aren't used to uh, being on the back for and, and losing fights. So um, oh, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, now I could sit here and talk to you guys about this fight all day. But unfortunately, we do have to wrap things up. And before we do, I got a couple fan questions for you guys. So first up, James. MMA State of Mind wants to know, which fight would Vic rather have? The winner of Felder versus Cruikshank or the winner of Pearson versus Trinaldo? Um, let's see. I, I think I, probably Pearson or Trinaldo because, for one thing, I already fought Darren Cruikshank, so it really doesn't do a lot for my career. And um, Felder's on a two-fight losing streak. I, granted, he's I, you know, I'm not talking about he, he has fought better competition than me, but I'm on a four-fight winning streak. So that really doesn't make sense. Um, uh, so I would say the winner of Pearson and uh, and Trinaldo probably. Yeah. Now, John, Will Martin at Will Martin MMA. I'm sure you know him. He's a really good guy, and yeah. uh, he says you should ask John about stories of Connor back in Cage Warriors and about you getting doused in beer. <laughs> oh right. Okay. Yeah. I've, uh, well, yeah. Some people don't realize this, but I've. I kind of grew up in the game whilst Connor was making uh, was making headlines. So I actually called his first fight for the Cage Warriors promotion, which was against Joe Duffy, funnily enough, back in like 2010. Um, and I think I called every single one of his fights for Cage Warriors until he got to the UFC, and then with Diego Brandao. So, so yeah, I, I've I've been I've seen Connor closely a couple of times. I've been out to Iceland. I've been out to Dublin to watch him in camp as well. And I know his team and his coaches and teammates as well. So, so yeah, I've seen him grow firsthand. Um, he's a good, he's a good kid. You know, I remember we, we did a, a new year's Eve show for cage warriors where he won his featherweight belt. And, um, and he made sure he went round to everyone in that room and, and thanked them for, you know, their support. And he, and he shared his thoughts and, and things like that. So, what you see with Connor is definitely Connor, but but there is a side to Connor that is a that is more like the true martial artist. You know, the the more humble side to him. He is appreciative um, and he's willing to exchange views. He's a real student of the game as well. I think the whole being covered in beer thing. So I can't remember. With it. I think it was the first one, right? So here's what happened. It was a very very small venue, 
and there was like an elevated platform just to my left where the where the commentary position was and there were actually some fans sitting there and they started going like nuts when Connor won. He won, he won by rear naked choke. And Connor, they were obviously Connor's closest friends because Connor just made a, made a line straight for these guys, which meant that he was coming in my direction. So he gets up on the fence and he doesn't just sit on the fence. He comes over the fence. He lands on the mixer table where we have the commentary stuff. He knees me in the face. My my cans like fly off my head. I kind of catch them uh, mid mid air and sort of carry on the broadcast. He jumps into the crowd. They're throwing God knows beer, Guinness, whatever. That definitely wasn't water and orange juice. I know that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it was just bonkers. It was just a, a crazy scene. And um, I have to say, and I, I, you know, it's <laughs> it sounds a bit cliche and. And like I'm a fanboy, it's not that, but I think I have some real strong memories of, of every single Conor McGregor fight that I've ever called. Yeah, that's incredible. And just to see what he's done now, you know, he's yeah. really taken not just his career, but the sport to the next level. And you did bring up Joe Duffy. What did you think about that Poirier versus Duffy fight? Obviously, Poirier cashed as the plus 200 underdog, but I got to say, that was the closest 30-26 I've ever seen in my life. Oh... You know, um, Joe is actually Joe's actually one of the guys who are, I would call Joe a friend. Um, I, I really like Joe. He's he's a he's a really nice human being, um, and I've always really enjoyed his style, uh, even before you know he went to boxing and and the such. So seeing him lose is uh, it, it sucks as a, as a friend, but you know the best man has to win and all that. I think that. Um, I think that Poirier is is that damn good, and I and I think he is a better prospect at lightweight. I think he's uh, he's got years behind him for a young man now, uh, and I think he he can really really push on. I was upset for Joe. Um, Joe didn't look like he had many uh, many ways out when he was on his on his on his back when he was on his side. He, he wasn't finding ways to get back to his feet, or rather, Poirier wasn't giving him the ways, the, the doors. He wasn't opening up, op having options. Um, I'm no black belt, um, or, or by any, and I'm a terrible wrestler. Uh, so you guys might have a different perspective on that, but I didn't see many openings for him. But that's why these guys are at the top of the tree. Um, so I'm sad for Joe. Um, I'm made up for Dustin because uh, I think that kid is. Is a is a great story. I remember the Fight Field documentary. It got me. A, it made me a Dustin Poirier fan. I've had dinner with him uh, in the past. I, I met him out in Dublin. Lovely guy, and uh, and I wish him all the success. But yeah, I was I was hurt a little bit to see it go down like that for Joe. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Even though Joe lost the fight, I thought he had a good showing just in the fact that, you know, he didn't quit at all. And, man, on the feet, he was landing some bombs. And I'm very impressed with Joe Duffy. I can't wait to see what he does next. And, obviously, I listened to UFC Octagon podcast. And, you know, you uh, talked to Joe Duffy in depth. And that was interesting to hear. Just, you know, he actually has a really interesting mind, really unique mind for the sport. So I got a lot of respect for Joe Duffy and can't wait to see what he does next. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll look out for that. But you're right. He looked good in that first round. His hands are very good. But it just goes to show the chin on on Dustin Poirier. Or, or, or does it go to say more about the right and left hands of uh, Conor McGregor? Right, um, exactly. 
Uh, James, did you get a chance to watch that fight between Poirier and Duffy? Yeah, I did. Um, uh, you know me, I watch all the fights, every one of them. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I was surprised um, uh, that, that Duffy couldn't get up. I mean, I felt like he should have, maybe, maybe he should have worked more on his cage work because they were, on the, they were up by the fence, you know, a lot of, the, of, the, of the, the grappling exchanges. And I felt like he just got held down. And I was surprised, you know, to be a black belt, I figured he was going to be able to, to attack more off his back. And I was impressed with his fight before because he had submitted that black belt in, with an arm bar in like the first round. And I, I just, I guess maybe I underestimated um, uh, Dustin Poirier's grappling ability. Um, uh, I thought, you know, Duffy landed some good shots. And, I mean, cl- clearly Poirier won the fight. But I, I had picked Duffy beforehand, and I, I was surprised. Um, I think the southpaw stance gave him a little bit, gave Duffy a little bit of a problem as well. And then just uh, he got he got out grappled. And I, I was surprised that he couldn't, he wasn't able to use the fence to get up. Yeah, man. What do you think about a potential matchup with you and Dustin down the line? Uh, I would love that. You know me, man. I'll fight, dude. I'll fight any of these guys. I think that um, stylistically, uh, you know, that's a great matchup for me. I'm he. I know Dustin very well, actually, too. I'm pretty cool with him as well. Um, uh, I think stylistically, it's a great matchup for me. I'm way taller than him. My range is better. I, he's not going to be able to hold me down. Should he take me down like that, I, I'll get right back up. And um, I'm, I, you know, I, I welcome that fight anytime. Yeah, man. And once again, you know, I wish we could sit here for the next hour or two and keep talking MMA. But unfortunately, we do have to wrap things up. I want to thank you guys so much for joining me on this very special UFC Boston edition of Half the Battle. Obviously, James will be in touch. And John, man, it was really good to meet you. I I want to have you back on the show sometime soon, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Good meeting you both. Can I I also just say it's been um, been really great listening to, to both of you. But I think for from my perspective, it's interesting listening to to a fighter that's so so well invested in in the roster from not just his own weight class but across the weight classes. And and James, I think you'll have a, a career as an analyst after. I think you've got some really good ways of describing stuff. It was it was a pleasure listening to both of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, John, just go ahead. Let the fans know where they can follow you on Twitter. And uh, are you still uh, pumping out the UFC Octagon podcast or what? Well. You know, that's interesting you should say. I'm actually uh, working on something with uh, Mr. Dan Hardy right now. So we're hoping that we're going to do something with that or or something separate. But I will be podcasting this year uh, with Dan. We're just trying to find a way to make it happen. Uh, But you can find me at John Gooden UK on uh, Twitter and Instagram. If anyone's interested in other stuff, I'm going to do an Ironman this year. So um, I'm training for that as well as... Still trying to uh, stay on the mats as well, which is uh, injuries permitting. But um, I'll be blogging and doing some stuff around that as well. So uh, johngooden.co.uk to follow my progress there. Well, we can't wait to see what you do next, John. Now, James, obviously, everyone knows we can follow you at James Vic MMA. And, man, hopefully the next time we talk, you'll have a fight lined up. For sure, for sure. I I, I mean, last time I talked to you, I said, hey, I should know something in a couple weeks. And, um... I guess I didn't, um, don't know yet, but I'll say it again. I should know something in two or three weeks, um, what's going to go on. So um, I'm excited about that and excited about this big year. I think I got a big year coming up, and I'm, I'm, my plan is to get three, at least three fights this year. Yeah, man, we can't wait to see what happens. And for all the fans tuning in to Half the Battle for the very first time, you can subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. Just search for Half the Battle. Thank you guys very much, and enjoy the fights.